Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Just a sports report. Uh, more specifically, we're going to get into UFC Vegas today. The card happening this weekend, headlined by Rafael Fiziev or Fiziev, and the Polishman Mateusz Gamrot. Uh, so these are two guys who were just sitting outside that championship contention realm. A winner, which we're definitely going to get here, unless we have something like last weekend, a bloody draw. Now I don't even know what to believe. Uh, but we should get a winner here. Winner will be looking around that top five mark of who they can face next. 155, it's interesting, kind of tricky to tell exactly uh, what's going on. Of course, Conor McGregor could come in and just totally flip the narrative of championship contention at the drop of a hat. He's kept Michael Chandler waiting. Uh, Dustin Poirier, probably going to take some time. Uh, Justin Gaethje next in line for a title shot after the title belt itself. Uh, Islam Makashev defending against Charles Oliveira, the very same man he beat for the lightweight strap. Of course, next weekend, we've also got a lightweight main event. Bobby King Green up against Grant Dawson, who's starting to make some moves within the division. Uh, but there's a lot of eyes on this main event. Rafael Fiziev up against Mateusz Gamrot. We've got some fun fights coming up on the card as well. And essentially, what's in store? Well, today I'm just going to go fight by fight and give my predictions. Now, when it's a pay-per-view, I'll give that little bit extra. When it's a fight night with a crowd, like last weekend, I'll give that little bit extra. When it's an apex, it's a little bit more rapid. So I've got some notes in front of me of the essential info of each fight, just so I'm not going in totally blind. I've watched all the tape. I've still not turned any corners in my research, uh, but presentation, we're going to try and keep it rolling pretty quickly today. So with that being said, I mean, let's get straight amongst it. UFC Fight Night Preview and Predictions Podcast. Kicking us off from the apex in Las Vegas this weekend, Women's bantamweight action. Tamaris Vidal returns to the octagon for her sophomore appearance, whilst UFC newcomer Montserrat Rendon looks to start her career in style. I'll start with Tamaris Vidal, 25-year-old Brazilian, training at Team Brothers. As far as Vidal's specialty, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So look for her to mix up the grappling uh, but we did see her pull off some very impressive striking in her debut as well. Tamaris comes into this one with a record of seven wins and only one loss. That one loss coming prior to the UFC, uh, but up against a ranked UFC fighter in Carol Hosa. So Vidal, uh, she's actually taken on a pretty strong level of competition before she landed in the UFC, Carol Hosa. Uh, Eileen Perez as well, who's also found her way 
into the UFC. Uh, and Vidal is on a six-fight win streak. So she's got confidence on her side. She's coming off a first-round flying knee to the body finish. Unbelievable. So like I said, jiu-jitsu is her realm, uh, but striking. She proves she was pretty confident there. Uh, made very short work of Ramona Pascual, uh, who has a record currently standing at six wins, five losses. Which, interestingly, the last win for Montserrat Rendon, Vidal's opponent, uh, her last win was over Brittany Cloudy, who also has a 6-5 and five record. thought that was interesting. Now, that was a split decision win for Montserrat Rendon uh, over Brittany Cloudy, so you couldn't say it was fully convincing, but it was her fifth straight win, and it was under the Invicta banner. Uh, so that's thought of as a fantastic test for female fighters uh, to prove they're ready for UFC level. And what's most impressive about Montserrat, she is a 12-time Jiu-Jitsu national champion. Uh, so both these ladies can mix it up in the grappling. Uh, now when I say national champion of Jiu-Jitsu, Rendon is a native of Mexico. So she's a 12-time Jiu-Jitsu national champ in Mexico, undefeated 5-0, making her debut here. And the 34-year-old, she seems pretty confident uh, from everything I've seen in my research. She trains under ECR Fight Center, and all five of Rendon's wins have gone the distance. So she's undefeated 5-0, all five wins by decision, of course coming off that split decision against Brittany Cloudy. Stylistically, I expect this one to actually present uh, a lot of different aspects. Obviously, given the backgrounds of both women, you would have to believe grappling is going to come into play. Uh, with the smaller apex size as well, uh, we traditionally see a little bit more clinching against the cage, things like that. It, it's just slightly, not by a huge margin, uh, but you just see a little bit more clinch work and things like that, which I think will come into play. And if it's a very close fight, and who bloody knows what the judge is, even little things like just having enough control during the clinch work, and potentially, like if you can, ideally getting some damage in as well, that could win you the fight. Uh, with grappling being so important as well, top position will come into play. Uh, but the striking, who's going to win the striking battle? You would have to believe Tamaris Vidal uh, a little bit more well equipped in that region and damage as far as judging if this does go the distance damage is the biggest factor uh, the judges look at so we'll have to see how that plays out uh, for Fidel she does boast finish prowess she has some stoppages on her record uh, whereas for Rendon all five have gone the distance uh, so she has that cardio edge and she's proven over her five fights that she is resilient let's bang the first pick out there I went with Tamaris Vidal in her debut. She didn't do me wrong. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. But I must say, Montserrat Rendon, she seems very confident in her abilities. A win here immediately puts her on the map. But I'm going to go with the pick and stick. I'm taking Tamaris Vidal. Initially, I was sizing up uh, a finish, maybe a knockout finish. But the more I saw of Montserrat Rendon, the more I do believe are that at the very least, she's up to UFC level. So I think it's going to be a tight one. When it comes to the judges, I just fucking... Like, picking decisions always makes me nervous because I'm just like, fuck. 
Even if they do win over the 15 minutes, they're not guaranteed to get their hand raised. But let's bang the first pick out. Tamaris Vidal by decision. I think she can get it done. And now we move on to the next. Excuse me, I've got my pen. I'm writing down some live timestamps. You know why? Because then if you're like, fuck this, I just want to listen to certain fight previews, you can just hit the time. So I just wrote eight because that's the time we're going to get into this next fight. Also a women's fight uh, taking place in the strawweight ranks. You have Japan's Mizuki Inui up against Hannah 24K Goldie. Now for Hannah Goldie, she's a 31-year-old American, six wins, three losses on her record. But in the UFC, look, Goldie looks the goods. She's a tank, looks very powerful, uh, imposing, but hasn't been able to impose herself. She's gone one in three in the UFC so far, and we haven't seen Hannah, excuse me, just putting my notes down, haven't seen Hannah since she was wiped out uh, by Meatball Molly in London. And it seemed like UFC kind of knew what they were doing there. Goldie coming off her first win in the UFC, uh, but they put her in a position there. She could have won, uh, but she did the opposite of win, and I mean that respectfully. So Hannah Goldie, one in three inside the UFC so far, uh, trains at Fusion XL. Stylistically, Mizuki, her biggest strength, uh, is getting that submission victory. So one positive with Hannah Goldie is that she's never lost by way of submission. Four of Hannah's six wins have been by decision, uh, so she's shown that she can go the distance. I think that's important as well at UFC level, because it's one thing at regional level to get all these fast finishes, but at some point in the UFC, and most likely immediately, you're going to get tested. So you've always got to be ready uh, to go that full distance. Four of six wins for Goldie by decision, says she can do just that. And for Goldie, like I said, she's a tank. She has a lot of power in the hands, whereas Mizuki, more of an all-rounder. So it's an MMA fight. I believe we're going to see exactly that. A few uh, different mix-ups and variations from striking to grappling. And like I said, smaller octagon as well. I do think we'll see some clinch work. And Hannah Goldie, given uh, her power and her strength, she could be the one that actually holds Mizuki up against the cage. And then from there, damage. It's nothing without damage. You can't just hold them there. Uh, but Goldie, I think she's a live chance up against the favorite in Japan's Mizuki, 29-year-old, kickboxing background, submission specialist, uh, training under Ray Longo at Sarah Longo Fight Team. So Mizuki, world-class gym that she's training at. The Japanese star is a karate black belt, 14 wins and 6 losses on her record. 9 of Mizuki's 14 wins have come by way of submission. Like I mentioned before, Goldie has not yet been submitted. One thing that is always constant is that the UFC matchmakers do put together tremendous stylistic matchups, not just at the top of the card, but you know, one's here in the apex, second fight of the night. Hannah Goldie, that's the test for her. How's she gonna go in those submission exchanges? And for Mizuki, what is she going to present if the submissions don't go to plan and she has to present something else? 
Uh, now, no stoppage losses for Mizuki. So she's lost six times, five of those by decision, one by disqualification, but she hasn't been stopped inside the distance. So that would point to this one most likely going the distance unless Mizuki can cinch up a submission. Uh, now, we haven't seen the Japanese fighter since August 2020. What's that, like three years ago? Fucking hell. Uh, and she lost by unanimous decision to Amanda Lamosh. Interestingly as well, watching a lot of tape for this card, I saw three different ladies on this card that Amanda Lamosh beat. I watched that tape. So I was like, good on you, Amanda. Just lost in the title fight, but, you know, that still says she's pretty badass. So, Mizuki, we haven't seen her since she lost to Lamosh. Our final thoughts on this fight. Yeah, we'll see. Haven't seen Mizuki in a while. Haven't seen the best of Hannah Goldie. It is what it is. Let's see how it plays out. Banging out the pick, keeping it rolling. I'm going Mizuki by decision. Not too much science behind the pick. I just, mainly what I've seen with my eyes. You know, watching tape and just studying, doing my notes. My vibe. We're going off vibe here, sir. Mizuki by decision. How? Uh, I just think she'll have that grappling edge and potentially even the striking edge. Maybe not in power, but definitely on the technical terms. So I think it goes the distance. What the judges think is fucking anyone's guess. Why am I going Mizuki? Like I said, vibe. Locking it in and moving on. Mizuki over Hannah Goldie by decision. Heavyweight Hossfest up next as the ultimate fighter winner under team Juliana Pena and brother of the legendary welterweight Kamaru, we have Mo Usman looking to keep things rolling against a middleweight turned light heavyweight now permanently set as a heavyweight Jake Collier. Usman up against Collier. Interesting to see. I mean, Collier at the moment... He's on a bit of a slump, uh, whereas Usman, if he can get another win, he moves himself forward in a heavyweight division, which is always craving some more contenders in the mix. Now, Usman, he's still a raw talent, so he's a very far world away right now uh, from working his way into title contention. It's a very clear assignment. Get the win, move forward, and then step up uh, maybe to a nice big crowd. Next up, so we have Muhammad the Motor Usman, nine wins and two losses on his record. A 34-year-old Nigerian slash American with five first-round finishes. Now, Usman made his UFC debut uh, essentially in the Ultimate Fighter, Pena up against Nunes. Uh, he won his two fights in the show. Then we see him, and I didn't watch the show to be honest. Uh, then we get the finale. Of the Ultimate Fighter, he gets a round two knockout over Zach Ponga, who's now moved down to the light heavyweight division, and it was an, an emphatic knockout, definitely the biggest win of Usman's career. He parlayed that into a tight, unanimous decision victory over Junior Tafa, uh, who's since proved he's a pretty big prospect himself. Uh, so that that's a big deal. It wasn't the most convincing win, uh, but for the motor. He gets the victory. He is now 2-0 inside the UFC. And Muhammad has four wins by knockout. 
uh, which we saw a huge knockout on display uh, when he was crowned the Ultimate Fighter winner. He also has two wins by submission, and as far as Usman's losses, he's been submitted once, uh, which Collier does have a submission in his arsenal. Last win was a submission over Chase Sherman, uh, and the other loss for Usman was a decision, so he's yet to be knocked out. And he's a pretty bloody imposing dude, so I don't know if we will see him get knocked out. Opposing the Ultimate Fighter this weekend, and he's not the only Ultimate Fighter on this card, Jake the Prototype Collier. Looking to bounce back, the Pitt MMA representative boasting a 13-9 record. Really don't want to go to 13-10. You'd prefer 14-9. Keep yourself nice and steady. Now, the 34-year-old American has seven first-round finishes, with Jake winning five times by knockout, four by submission. He'll be looking to finish the fight here. I think the last few fights we've seen Collier come out with some serious intent, and I think he's going to look to push the pace, really pressure Usman, because Collier will be confident that if it goes to 15 minutes, he can handle it. He moves like a middleweight, uh, so for such a big, stocky guy like Usman uh, Collier, he's going to be evasive. But I also think he's going to be right in the face of Usman, pressuring him. Now, whether that works to his advantage remains to be seen. Collier needs a win, though. He could get cut off a loss here. He's on a three-fight losing streak, losses in four of his past five. The only win uh, being against Chase Sherman, who can knock a man out, but just respectfully has an awful record in the UFC. Like, beating Chase Sherman doesn't add a lot to your resume. Moves you forward, but not not as much as a win over someone like Junior Tafa, say. Now, this three-fight losing streak for Collier, a split decision against Andre Arlovsky. If you've listened to the pod before, I've kind of broken the heavyweights down from the top end, your John Jones, all the way down. To that lower end, Chase Sherman. I don't even know if he's with the promotion. Um, who else? Jared Vandera. And Jake Collier was in there as well. And Arlovsky, for me, he's a former heavyweight champion, a legend of the game. And he is not at that lowest level. That's not what I'm insinuating at all. American top team, Jim, like he is a world-class fighter. But Arlovsky, for me, just given that, you know, he's past 40 now. He's kind of that test for the lower heavyweight guys. Like, if you can beat Arlovsky, we'll move you up a little bit. Look at Marcos Rogerio de Lima, uh, who got a big win over Arlovsky, then eventually works his way uh, to a fight with Derek Lewis. Now, he does lose that, but these are kind of the moves you can make with a win over Arlovsky. Now, split decision for Collier does not do him any favors. Some people thought he won. That is loss one in a three-fight losing streak, according to the history books. Then he gets TKO'd by Chris Barnett. Again, Barnett, I don't know. I don't know whether he's above that lowest level. I think he is. I think he might be just a little bit above. But he's not. I don't see him as a, as a heavyweight contender. And yeah, he finished Collier. And then Martin Budai, probably the most likely out of the lot. He is pushed well outside of that bottom level. And now Budai is actually working himself toward top 15 calculations. Uh, so he's been on a great stretch. 
Uh, but Collier loses by decision to Martin Budai. In that fight, that was one hell of a fight. Collier came out with serious intent. I expect him to do the same here. I never want to see someone get cut, but UFC record for Collier, five wins, eight losses. So he does need a bounce back here. Now for the prototype over his career, the losses he's copped, he's been knocked out four times. So he's going to have to watch out for the power of Usman. He's been submitted once, lost four times by decision. Last thoughts on the fight. Respect level for both of these fighters. Extremely high. They're putting their lives on the line to entertain us. And both guys, this is their livelihood. Respect level high. Interest level in this fight, low. So we'll bang out a pick. Uh, Will the fight go the distance? Hard to tell. Like if Collier comes out with that intent and really puts the pressure on, this one could finish pretty early. And I think... If he plays those games with Usman, he better make sure he uses that middleweight-like speed. Because if he doesn't, Usman will knock him out. But I do think this fight goes the distance. Collier has proven he's tough. He has experience. And I think he's been fighting at a higher level than that of Usman. So I do believe Collier can give Muhammad some troubles. My pick, though, Muhammad Usman by decision. Respect level high, interest level low, so I won't go too much more into my pick. I think Usman will find a way. If he doesn't get the knockout, I still think he'll have the tools uh, over the 15 minutes to just grind out a win and continue to move forward, go 3-0. I guess I'm kind of going with momentum here. Usman on a winning run, Collier on one of a losing variety. We're locking in pick number three, heavyweight division action, Muhammad Usman by decision. Interest levels a little bit higher for this next middleweight fight because we have an Australian in action. Now, if you've been listening to the pod, you would know the 185 division, I believe it's going to pop the fuck off. It already is. Sean Strickland, now the man to beat. A ton of hungry prospects. Uh, we still have guys like Whitaker, Adesanya, Cannonier, Vittori. Uh, all these guys have been there for quite some time. Prospects like Caio Barallo, uh, Adolfo Vieira, Brendan Allen. I mean, you've got Chris Curtis still in the mix there somewhere. There is so much going on. Drikas Duplessis, Paolo Costa, Eliskarov. I could go on and on. Nasadin Imavov, Kamzat Chemaev. Shit is about to pop off. Uh, and we've got a middleweight contest here. Now, these guys... Not quite in that mix yet. A win could do that. More so for Jacob Malkoon, uh, Mamba, the Australian fighter. He's been on a better kind of streak than the American Cody Brundage, who takes this one on short notice. Uh, Brundage stepping in for the 14-0 Aliskab Kizriev. 14-0, so that would have been a hell of a matchup. Brundage... He took a short notice fight last time out against Cedric Dumas and he looked awful, respectfully. Like, when I watched that, I picked Brundage and my main takeaway watching it live was like, fuck, this dude has taken it on a short notice and he looks underprepared. Like, he's just not ready to go. And I don't mean that critically. Like, I'm the one sitting on my ass while he's getting in there in the cage fighting. So I'm not a hater. That was just, that was my biggest takeaway. 
was like, wow, this guy's taking this on short notice. And whilst it's not an excuse, it's just like, he looked very subpar. Cedric Dumas, in his UFC debut, was easily accounted for by Josh Fremd. And then Cedric comes out and looks like a superstar against Brundage. So yeah, I'm kind of interested that Brundage is again taking a short notice opportunity. I didn't look into how short the notice was, but that was such a factor in his last fight. I was like, wow, this Cody Brundage looks shit comparatively to the guy that dropped Adolfo Vieira, comparatively to this powerhouse. I mean, you saw him rock Treshawn Gore. So Brundage has looked good definitely at points, uh, but a short notice step up is a bit of a question mark. Uh, now we've seen Mel Coon use a lot of wrestling and control, uh, but Brundage will be prepared for that. He is a wrestler himself, and he feels like this stylistic matchup suits him to a T. So that is why he's taken it. Uh, Brundage, an American, 29 years old, training at Factory X, uh, one of the world-class gyms in MMA. So look, we saw last time in his fight, his corner did everything uh, to try and get him into the fight. So he has the gym there. It's just, where's Cody Brundage at? He has an eight wins, five losses record uh, overall. Three straight losses, though, for Brundage. He got knocked out in round one by Michael Olazacek, the Polishman, uh, who's a pretty top prospect, you'd have to say, uh, but still gets knocked out. Then he gets submitted by Adolfo Vieira. Did he drop him? Brundage dropped Vieira, yes. Did Vieira win though? Yes, by submission. So that was two losses in a row. Then he takes that short notice showing uh, the worst of all. Even though he didn't get finished, that was the worst performance of them all, I felt. Uh, so three straight losses for Brundage. Takes this short notice opportunity. And when I went to tapology.com, uh, I had a look at where they rank them. Because uh, tapology have rankings for each division worldwide. So that includes more than just the UFC. Uh, worldwide, for middleweights, Brundage is currently ranked 66th. So he was much more in the frame uh, before he copped these three losses in a row. Two of them to very top prospects. One to a pretty questionable, untested prospect in Dumas. Now he takes on Malkoon. A win is essential. For Jacob Mel Mumba Malkoon, I can't speak English, fuck. Uh, he's a 28-year-old, slight reach advantage in this one. And we did see in his last fight against Nick Maximov, he's been working on the striking. Of course, most of Melkoon's game we've seen is kind of just bear-hugging people, controlling them, which has been significantly effective. Uh, but Malkoon's yet to show that he can finish a fight inside the UFC, which I think is why uh, he finds himself here on this Apex card. To try and, you know, have an impressive performance, comprehensive, whether it's a finish or not, get a big win and keep on moving. Malkoon trains at PMA Super Martial Arts Center. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I see it's really that jiu-jitsu that he implements, but the striking, he's been working on it. And he's going to need to present some striking because Brundage has shown that's probably one of his biggest strengths. Now, Malkoon has a 7-2 and two record, and when we saw him enter the UFC, it was adversity immediately. Gets knocked out in emphatic fashion 
first round finish against Phil Hawes. So he cops the loss. First loss of his career, uh, then Malkoon bounces back with a unanimous decision win over Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, who, look, Phil Hawes got that knockout first round. You want to talk about an opponent stylistically who you need to prepare with all your power not to get knocked out in that first five minutes, even the first minute? Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. So that was a really big test early on for Malkoon. Coming off a loss, bounced back, decision win. Then he gets another unanimous decision up against AJ Dobson. And after that, a contentious decision loss against 185-pound contender Brendan Orlin Allen. And this is kind of where that bear hug style comes in. I thought, watching live, not trying to judge, uh, that Malkoon had won because he was controlling the fight, uh, his grappling was really sound, but it was close. Contentious decision. I'm not going to argue Brendan Allen won. And I think that's where that damage and the lack of being able to really look like you're going to finish a fight, I think that's where Malkoon can kind of get hurt. Because there's potential he could hold Brundage down for 4 minutes and 50 seconds. They get to their feet. Brundage still has that power in his hands where if he drops Malkoon, even in a tiny window of time, he can steal around. And Malkoon's style uh, is quite heavily focused on that full 15 minutes, winning at least two of the rounds. So we've got an interesting matchup stylistically. Uh, Brundage, a threat on the feet. But like I said, uh, Malkoon was able to handle Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, who has those same capabilities. AJ Dobson uh, has a knockout in him as well. Malkoon, he's been preparing. I think that's my ultimate point of difference. He's also coming off a win, our last fight against Nick Maximov. Now, Maximov, he was a prospect that I liked. He's since got cut. Um, but, yeah, Maximov hurt his leg in that fight. Saw Malkoon made a lot of striking adjustments, so that was the biggest positive coming out of that fight. But what I found interesting was Maximov was clearly dealing with a leg injury that he may have picked up either before the fight or during. And Malkoon, he did everything he needed to do to get his hand raised. So for that, another massive tick. But still, when the man was injured, he wasn't quite able to find that finish. And I don't mean this critically. I just think it's interesting if predominantly Malkoon, his fights are going the distance, uh, as to how that's going to work long term and where he finds that finish. Could it be here against Cody Brundage? Uh, now, Tapology's world middleweight rankings list Malkoon as 45th in the world. And like I mentioned, the Hawes loss, uh, the really close Brendan Allen loss, that's kind of pushed him back from being top 30, top 20, which is where you push uh, for the rankings. But there's a very simple assignment here for Jacob Malkoon. Beat Cody Brundage, continue to move forward. Then he probably is looking around that top 30, and slowly work his way uh, toward those rankings. Now, I'm cheering for Jacob Malkoon. Aussie, why the fuck not? So he's got my full support, but I did put bias aside for this pick. Uh, stylistically, I mentioned the striking element. Malkoon, I'm sure he will have been working on it going into this one. Uh, but he was preparing for Kizriev. Now he's got Cody Brundage. 
Uh, so will he be able to switch the game plan up if it's not successful early? Uh, wrestling. I see that bear hug style coming into play here again. I think Malkoon can get the better of the grappling exchanges. I do think we're going to see a lot of striking though, which is what I find most interesting there. Uh, ultimately though, Jacob Malkoon by decision. Like I mentioned, that style, it's hard to tell because Brundage could rock him and Brundage is looking for the finish. So that's the test. And look, if Brundage was going against someone else, I'd probably pick a finish win here. Not for Brundage, uh, but for his opponent. But with Malkoon, if he gets a finish, kudos to him. That will move him forward significantly. But no matter where I tried to find it, watching tape, looking at the study, all signs point toward this style of Malkoon. Full 15 minutes. Now, he is still evolving. So that's what I'm interested to see here. What new strengths does Malkoon bring to the table? Can he handle Brundage? I think he can. So let's lock it in. Jacob Mumba Malkoon by decision. Fireworks incoming for this next welterweight contest between two fighters in the midst of a slump. The bounce back factor is real in this fight. UFC veteran Tim the Dirty Bird means up against Portuguese striker Andre Fialo. Now I'll start with the Dirty Bird Tim Means 50th pro fight. This one will be 39 years old from America, so going into his 50th pro fight, but on the back of three straight losses. In fact, the narrative here, both these fighters coming off the back of three losses into this one. So, one guy is going to get that amazing bounce back, finally back in the winner's column. The loser, fourth straight loss, not sure where they go from there. Now Means, he's got a bit more leeway given that he's a legend of the game. He's 39 years old anyway, so I don't know how much longer he's going to stick around. Uh, but Fialo, really it's UFC career on the line. Now for Means, three straight losses. Uh, he was submitted by Kevin Holland, second round Darce choke, then lost by split decision up against Max Payne Griffin. Uh, so at that point, Means, two losses in a row, takes on Alex Morono. Really fun fight, that one. Morono proved too good. Submission win. So three straight L's, two of those being submissions. Uh, none of those being knockouts, though, which is Fialo's best strength. Tim carries a pro record of 32 wins, 15 losses, one draw, and one no contest into Vegas this weekend. Whew, bit of a mouthful, that one. Uh, now, from 32 wins, Means has 24 finishes. What I found interesting, though, only four of those came in the first round. So 20 of his wins have been finishes in either rounds two or three. There's a little factoid. And uh, for Means, he is a striker training at Fit NHB. I thought I'd look at a few of the losses for Means as well. He's had 15 of them. So sometimes I think that's a good window uh, to try and look at methods of victory or defeat. Now Means has only been knocked out twice in 49 fights. Now Fialo, knockouts are his specialty. 
but he's got that boxing style and he doesn't present a ton of other stuff. So if Fiala gets a knockout here, that will be huge for him. But the stats and numbers would suggest it's going to be really tough. Two losses by knockout slash technical knockout for means. Seven submission losses. So if you want to finish him, that's the way to do it. And six losses by decision. Stylistically, with the striking element, Means has 19 wins by knockout slash technical knockout. And I think he presents a much more experienced and varied game plan and attacking weaponry than that of Fiala. I also think this one, loser leaves town. It's a loser leaves town match. If Fialo loses, I don't think we'll see him back in the UFC. Unfortunately, because he looked very promising. Now, that could still lead to a huge win for him here. Uh, with Means, if he loses, I don't think it's going to be as harsh as getting cut or whatever. It might just be like, you're going to turn 40 soon. You've produced a legendary body of work. Rest up. Hopefully the man's been paid uh, for this fight properly. Uh, now what else have I got? Means, 19 of his wins by knockout. Uh, but his last win by that method was a TKO in 2018. So it's been a hot minute. Opposing means, you have Andre Fialo. Three straight losses. Got knocked out by Jake Matthews. Uh, got epically knocked out by Muslim Salikov. And then got even more epically knocked out. Head kick TKO by Joaquin Buckley. So Fialo's losses have all been by way of knockout. So when you look at the losing streaks, Means hasn't been knocked out, which is where Fialo likes to win a fight. That's all Fialo's been doing, is getting knocked out. But against very high-level competition. Fialo now has a record of 16 wins, 7 losses, and 1 no contest. And I keep mentioning it, Knockouts are how he likes to get it done. From 16 victories, 13 wins by knockout, 12 first round finishes, and he's 10 years younger than his opponent. So statistically, a lot of the time, we'll see if there's more than a 10 year age gap that will favor the younger opponent. Now, Fialo trains at Sanford MMA. Uh, boxing style, I just wrote in my notes, one dimensional question mark and I mean that respectfully but we saw it work really well for him coming into the UFC against Michelle Pereira at decision loss and then an impressive couple of knockout wins he looked really good there but it seems like once guys had some UFC level tape on him uh, they could go back watch and kind of figure him out and he seems like that's been the case here Joaquin Buckley figured him out, Muslim Salikov did, Jake Matthews did. Tim Means has the experience. The biggest question mark at 39 years old, is he, where's he at? Is this his last fight? For Tim Means, one benefit, last thing you lose is power. So there you go. For Fialo, like Means, he's lost a few times, so I thought we'd cast an eye over the loss column. Andre Fialo, five of seven wins or five of seven losses excuse me five of seven losses by knockout now outside of heavyweights once a fighter hits that five knockout losses mark then they can kind of be in that danger zone and means 
he can exploit that. Uh, now, when you look at Means' losses, his submissions, or his submission defense, has been his kryptonite. Fialo has one submission win. I mentioned one-dimensional. Will we see Fialo look to utilize submissions? I think it happened last weekend at UFC Notche. Daniel Zellhuber, a predominantly a striker, up against Christos Giagos. Giagos, his exploitation area were the submissions. So we saw Zellhuber take it there, and he won by submission. So I actually think that's Fialo's best path to victory. But I believe he's going to go for the knockout. That's where he sees his best path to victory. Who fucking knows? Honestly, the biggest question, what improvements slash adjustments has Andre Fialo made? And Tim Means, where is he at? Does he want to make a few more checks fighting? Is he just about done? Where's he exactly at? I'm not sure, but I'm going to go Tim Means. And we haven't gone a finish yet on this card. So I'm going to throw a finish in there. Tim Means by Technical Knockout. T-K-O. I don't think... He's going to get Fialo flush, like the Buckley head kick. That was Matthew's massive hit. But I do think means it's just exactly what I've spoken about. Like sometimes I'll base my pick on the tape, like all the tape I've watched and what I've seen. Sometimes it'll be totally different things. Other times it'll be the notes I've written in front of me. And as I've spoken these notes, it's kind of all pointed toward means his exploitation area isn't a strength of Fialo's. Whilst Fialo, he's been getting knocked out, means that's his biggest strength. Whilst also in his older age, showing that he can grind out the full 15 minutes. So I can see this one going to decision, but I want to throw a finish in there. We're going to go with the underdog, Tim Means, by technical knockout. I think the veteran... We'll just have that experience edge. I can see Fialo getting the knockout win, but in the battle of the bounce backs, I'm going to go Tim Means. That's my pick for fight number five, Tim Means by technical knockout. Now, let's get on to the featured prelim. Bantamweights take the spotlight up next in this featured prelim. How much spotlight do you get at the apex? Not sure. Uh, but both these guys deserving of a big opportunity here. You've got Dan, the determined Argueta, uh, an ultimate fighter contestant from a couple of years ago. Didn't go on to win the show. Uh, was on Team Ortega. Didn't win the show. Lost to the eventual winner, Ricky Tercios. Uh, but since Argueta, you know, he carved out a bit of a path back at LFA, uh, won the LFA bantamweight title. He gets a UFC debut by taking a short notice opportunity, a decision loss against Damon Jackson, where I thought Argueta actually looked very good. Uh, then down the determined parlays that into a decision win over Nick Aguirre. Uh, and then last time out against another promising prospect, Argueta got what looked like a um, submission stoppage, but it was declared no contest, premature stoppage. There was no tap from Ronnie Lawrence, but who knows? So yeah, I thought... Dan handled that no contest really well. Uh, didn't kick any stones. Because it would have been shit. I reckon he would have won that fight. Whether it be by submission or decision. 
So now he takes on Miles Johns, uh, Agueda with a 9-1 record, Miles Johns 13-2, formerly trained under James Krause at Glory MMA and Fitness. What happened there? Can't say, probably legally. Anyway, Miles Johns 13-2. He's had an interesting uh, road through the UFC. Got knocked out by Mario Bautista, that was his first loss after winning on debut. Then he got a knockout win over Kevin Natvidad. Another knockout over Anderson Dos Santos, uh, August 2021. And at this stage, Miles Johns really looks like one to watch at 135. Then February last year against John Castaneda, a slip up. Gets submitted in the third round. And Miles Johns has to go away, reevaluate. We see him November last year, gets a decision win over a very dangerous opponent in Vince Morales. Uh, so I think this matchup is a really quality one. Whoever wins takes a huge leap forward in what is a stacked division. I'm going to take Dan Argueta uh, by decision. I think submission could be an option as well, uh, but I think he's going to grapple a lot and mix that up with the striking. Miles Johns is great, but I think Argueta may have the higher ceiling. So we're going to lock in the featured prelim pick. I am going to take Dan the determined Agueda over Miles Johns by decision. UFC Vegas 79 from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. Let us launch into the main card. Of course, headlined between the sixth ranked lightweight in the world, Rafael Fiziev, and of course, Mateusz Gamrot ranked number seven. So genuine top five implications in our main event. Co-main event uh, promises to be quite interesting as well. Dan 50k Ige, a lot of power in his hands, up against a bit of a submission magician. Also a bit of a dumbass, but I mean his fighting is not dumb. His fighting is fucking unbelievable. Bryce Mitchell, a genuine contender in this division, Seems like he's injury-free. There's a lot of stuff going on in his life, but I assume that's all always the case by some of the shit this guy comes out with. Uh, but what better place to start on this main card than our opener? Featherweight action between Charles Air Jordan and Ricardo Ramos. Ramos coming into this one with a 16-4 and record. Charles Jordan, 14-6-1. and Charles, one year uh, younger than his counterpart, 27, whilst Ramos, 28 years old. Same height, a little bit of a reach advantage for Ricardo. Speaking of Ricardo, he is a 28-year-old Brazilian coming off a spinning back elbow knockout, his second in the UFC uh, over Danny Chavez. He did miss weight, though, uh, so that comes with a bit of an asterisk. Trains under Uriah Faber at Team Alpha Male, and Ricardo Ramos, very dynamic striker, but also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. 16-4 record, 4 wins by knockout for Ramos, 7 by way of submission, 8 first round finishes. Uh, so he's a bit of a highlight fighter. Some other notes I have on Ricardo. Over the course of his UFC run, he's gone 7 wins and 3 losses, 2 spinning back elbow finishes. Absolutely wild. People would dream of just one. Uh, but for Ricardo Ramos, whilst he's been uh, a pretty awesome fighter to watch, 
Unfortunately for his career, he suffered losses at untimely points. There have been a few setbacks out of his control through COVID. He did have that weight miss last time out. Uh, although congratulations to him, he made weight. Congratulations to everyone. Everyone on the card made weight, so that makes me very happy. Now on the other side of the cage from Ramos, we have French-Canadian fighter Charles Air Jourdain. One of the division's workhorses who made his debut in May 2019 has since racked up an impressive 12 UFC appearances. Similar to Ramos, Jourdain has had his ups and downs, but he recently broke a two-fight skid with a patient, tactical, maybe not fan-friendly win, uh, but a very smart, high IQ victory over a very dangerous Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist in Cron Gracie. Excuse me, I knocked a, <laughs> my drink can. Uh, now, it seems like that statement in the Cron Gracie victory has really carried over. He's taken a different mindset, Charles Jourdain. He feels like some fans, especially home fans and media, kind of turned against him uh, when he went on a bit of a losing run. He got a win. Some people would call it bore, uh, boring. I would call it a really smart fight to get your hand raised. And it seems like he's adapted to this style. He seems now like he's not going to come out and try and get the performance of the night or, you know, give the fans some awesome highlight. He's going to do what's best for himself and his family, which ultimately, biggest goal is to get your hand raised uh, and get as much money as you can uh, from the appearance. So he's no longer fighting just for fun and for the fans. It seems like Charles Jourdain really has his head screwed on going into this one. And with a Toronto show looming in January, well, a win could set him up for another fun fight. Few notes on Charles Air Jourdain. He is 27 years old from Quebec, Canada, trains at Academy Pro Star MMA, and Jourdain, where his bread is buttered, is in the striking realm. But like Ramos, he's also a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt. Uh, so both guys have creative striking. We're going to see that in the exchanges. But what I'm keen to see as well uh, is what happens in the grappling, because both guys have very underrated ground games. Although for Jordan, that has been an element uh, where guys like Shane Burgos and others have been able to get over the top of him. In close fights, mind you, uh, I think that's kind of what the Cron Gracie matchup was about, to really test him up against someone who could potentially submit him or just outgrapple him. And Jordan passed the test. Uh, but he's got that here once again in Ricardo Ramos, who you just don't know what he's going to pull out of the hat. Looking over the record for Jordan, over his career he has gone 14 wins, 6 losses and 1 draw. 12 of Charles' 14 wins have come inside the distance, 8 wins by knockout slash TKO and 4 submissions as well. Uh, 4 first round finishes for Jordan, so he doesn't necessarily come out all guns blazing looking for that finish. Uh, and I think that's what could serve him well in this contest. As far as his losses, five of six losses for Jourdain have been by decision. The only finish in his career uh, was a very surprise short notice replacement who returned to the UFC and submitted him in Julian Arosa, Juicy J. Quickly, just going to have a look at the stylistic. Uh, I think the striking 
is really where this fight's going to take place. But both guys have the ground game. And maybe if one's on the back foot in the striking element, do we see the ground game come into it? Or with Jordan taking this new approach where he's not coming out for this fan-friendly fight he's coming to win, does that see him utilize the grappling more? Final thoughts. Uh, well, I think the winner definitely moves forward at 145 pounds. Whilst the loser, they'll stick around. They'll be in fun fights. Uh, but it's a bit of a progression series fight, this one. I'm going to go Charles Jordan. Uh, now, I'm going a lot of decisions on this card. So I'm going to go Charles Jordan by TKO. I think with this selfish mindset he's taken, maybe he just goes the full distance. Maybe that's this approach to beat Ramos. Uh, but Ramos has been knocked out twice, or technically knocked out, and I want to throw another finish in there. Toronto, kind of close, not just around the corner, but it's approaching. I think a finish win, Jordan could find himself on the main card. Boy, oh boy. Oh, Canada. Uh, so yeah, wee oui, wee. Oui. I will take the French-Canadian Charles Jordan by TKO. Uh, but this is going to be a very close one. I can see Ramos winning, but... Got to make a pick. How does Jordan win? I think he's going to have the edge in grappling. Both are black belts, uh, but I think we're going to see a bit of a masterclass here from Jordan. And then he's going to work himself into ground and pound. This is just my Mystic Michael prediction uh, and get the ground and pound TKO. Why am I going Jordan? I just feel like one of these men, although this is in the apex, one of these guys, after shaky moments, Highs and lows, one of them are ready for that real legitimate breakout performance uh, that can catapult them into 2024-2025 if they can string some wins together. Who knows just how far they could go. Uh, so this is a massive fight for trajectory. I'm taking Jordan. I'll back him to be the one getting his hand raised by technical knockout. Jordan, wee oui, wee, oui, we move on. Moving up a couple of divisions now. 170 pound action, welterweight division. This one I'm really keen for. Mainly because of one of my favorite prospects, Brian the Butcher Battle, up against AJ Fletcher. Both with 10 and 2 records. Uh, although I don't believe Brian Battle's ultimate fighter run, where he got another two wins over decent opponents, uh, like Andre Petrosky, I don't know. If that's factored in there, massive height and reach advantage for Brian Battle here. So I think he's going to be a real problem for AJ Fletcher. Now, AJ the Ghost Fletcher is a 26-year-old American, a striker with four wins by knockout, as well as four by submission. AJ has six first-round finishes on his record, 10-2 and two overall, and he actually started a perfect 8-0. So Fletcher looked every bit the prospect as a welterweight. For his ninth win, well, it was his most impressive to date. Comes on to Dana White's Contender Series a couple of years ago. Flying knee knockout in the first round. Boom, bam. Thank you, ma'am. AJ Fletcher signs his UFC contract. But, I mean, that wasn't really an omen of good things to come. He lost his UFC debut, unanimous decision against Matt Semmelsberger. Then, on the headshot bang card, 
uh, Leon head kicking Kamaru. Uh, we saw Fletcher lose to Ange Losa. He did get his first UFC win though in February this year over The Rock's favorite fighter, Themba Garimbo. AJ getting a second round submission over Garimbo. And now Fletcher enters Vegas with the intentions of adding Brian Battle's name to his resume. Speaking of the devil, Brian the Butcher Battle, 10 and 2 professional record representing Hayastan MMA. He has wins in 10 of his last 11 appearances, 3 knockout victories, uh, with some incredible ones in under a minute at UFC level, and 5 wins by submission. The 29 year old American is a freestyle fighter and he represented Team Volkanovski. Got a bit of the rub from one of the all time greats. Uh, and he won in the middleweight division, did battle, but we've seen him move down to welterweight. Now, after the show, or firstly to crown the ultimate fighter, when it came time to face Team Ortega's Trayshawn Gore, Gore wasn't fit to go. So we saw Team Volkanovski's. Gilbert Urbina, uh, who'd lost to Treshawn Gore, he got the shot in the final as a substitute, and Battle got him out of there pretty quickly. Then, Brian beats Treshawn Gore, that well and truly cements him as the ultimate fighter of his season, no dispute. We see Battle after that parlay his ultimate fighter crown into a move down to welterweight. First up, 44 second head kick knockout, of Takashi Sato. You're not going to get much better than that. After that though, he takes a short notice appearance. First loss in the UFC. Loses and was completely outclassed for 15 minutes uh, by someone who could be a future champion in Renat Fakhradinov. I'm not swearing, I promise. Battle did not waste any time bouncing back though, scoring a 14 second knockout of Gabe Green in front of his home crowd in Charlotte. North Carolina. However, Brian, naughty boy, did miss weight leading into that fight. So 14 second knockout, epic, weight miss not so much. But thankfully, Battle had no such issues on the scale this time around. Brian's been building a name for himself uh, over his last few fights. He's starting to really carry himself like a star. And a win here would be sure to put Brian very nicely in the mix, uh, potentially for a top 15 opponent next. Whilst for AJ Fletcher, he's ridden the highs, he's ridden the lows, and it's only been a short journey in the UFC so far. A win over the fan favourite in battle would see AJ leapfrog the ultimate fighter and begin a surge toward the rankings of his own. Quick stylistic breakdown, uh, Brian Battle has said he's going to chase the finish, I think it's going to be throwing hands, no doubt about that. He's had some epic knockouts in the past, plenty of submission victories as well. But AJ Fletcher presents similar threats. I think he's just going to struggle with the range. I believe the best path to victory for Fletcher is to use his grappling, take this fight to the mat. I'm going to go Brian Battle by decision. And only because I couldn't pick how he would get the finish. I think he's going to get the finish. I just don't know. Knockout, submission. I've got a lot of decisions, so I'm just going to go decision. Fuck it. Most importantly, uh, I have Brian Battle winning. I'm pretty confident about that. Uh, how better striking winning the grappling exchanges? Why? 
Brian the Butcher Battle is a star. He missed weight last time, finds himself in the apex now, uh, as a bit of a kind of, you know, get your shit together. Gets a big win here, and Brian goes straight back to the big time, baby. I sense a pay-per-view fight in this man's future. Oh, I want to go finish. My main pick is just Brian Battle head-to-head. I don't know how he's going to win, but I'm in the spirit of decisions today. So let's put the pick out there. Brian Battle by decision. Two contenders meet in the apex for the second time. Interestingly, the first time was a five-round main event. Razor-thin decision. We are in the strawweight division. Of course, with Zhang Weili, the champion, we are going to be treated to the eighth-placed, or eighth-ranked, rather, Marina Rodriguez, Brazilian fighter, up against the 12th-ranked Michelle Waterson Gomez. Like I mentioned, they actually went five rounds in a main event, same venue. Marina got the nod. A lot of people thought Michelle did enough to win. Here they are, are both coming off a few losses in a bit of a rough patch. They meet again. Winner moves back toward that championship picture. Loser, it's a massive setback. So there is a really high level of importance to this one as far as rankings implications title shot implications, winner, it's a good time. Loser, uh, as far as a title shot, it could be a case of never getting there. So we'll have to see. Really big fight here. Uh, between 16, 3 and 2, Marina Rodriguez, 36 years old, and 37-year-old Michelle, the karate hardy, Waterson Gomez, 18 and 11 record. A little bit of a reach advantage and height advantage, for Marina, which she saw, uh, we saw, she used that to her advantage. What Michelle used really well uh, was her grappling in that fight. So I'm interested stylistically as far as both elements to that. Now, Michelle Waterson, probably the closest she got to really being in the title mix, uh, was three straight wins, split decision over Courtney Casey, and two unanimous ones over Felice Herrig and Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Uh, that led to a five-round main event against Joanna Yeljacek. And Michelle came up short, unanimous decision win for Joanna. After that, a split decision loss against Carla Esparza, three-rounder for Waterson Gomez. And over her last six, she's only won one. And that was a split decision over Angela Hill. Uh, that was what followed the Yeljacek and Esparza losses. And it was a fight of the night, five-round main event. Very close once again. Albert Waterson got the nod. Three straight losses since. The five-round loss to Marina Rodriguez. Really close, that one. Uh, a submission loss against Amanda Lamosh, who's beaten both of these women. That's kind of the common denominator. And a split decision loss against Luana Pinheiro. Again, super close fight. Michelle just has not been able to get on the winning side of things. 18 and 11 record, nine wins by submission. Uh, so I really think it's time. If she wants to go for that championship, she needs to look, try and exploit that submission defense of Rodriguez, get a finish, go back toward that title hunt. She's been submitted four times, uh, six of 11 losses for Waterson Gomez. 
by decision. She's a black belt in karate, brown belt in BJJ, training at Jackson Wink. So there you go, big fight uh, for Michelle the Karate Hottie, Waterson Gomez. As for Miranda Rodriguez, Miranda, (laughs) Marina, sorry, I will be real with you, I smoked a joint, that's why I've kind of gone off track in this particular one. I apologize to both ladies. Uh, But yeah, Marina, not Miranda, who the fuck? Marina, she was on the cusp of a championship opportunity. I genuinely viewed her as someone who was one fight off, maybe not even one fight off, from getting a championship shot. Four fight win streak. Starts with a second round technical knockout of Amanda Rebus. That's a massive tick. Massive level of competition. Then the win over Michelle Waterson Gomez. Uh, So as Waterson Gomez has been losing, at this stage... That was the difference that kept Marina, not Miranda, rolling. After that, a decision win over five rounds over Mackenzie Dern, another massive tick for Marina. And then a split decision, three rounds over Jan Xiaonan. Again, razor close, but she got her hand raised. Four straight wins, all four of those ladies are contenders. Marina was right there. She takes on Amanda Lamosh in a main event. As it would so happen, a win here for Lamosh would see her get the next title opportunity. Third round technical knockout. I believe it was 1-1 going into the third. Lamosh with a finish over both these ladies. Then, most recently, Werner Yandaroba got the decision win over Marina. So she's on a two-fight slide. Both these ladies badly need momentum and it's come time for them to meet again. As for what happens, I have absolutely no bloody idea. I went and watched their fight back and that did not really help me because they're going to go back themselves and watch that. I believe Marina, in the grappling realm, she's going to have made a lot of positive adjustments. For Waterson Gomez, I think on the feet she can trouble Marina, but I want to see her chase that submission. We'll have to see. I'm going Marina Rodriguez by decision. Why? Uh, I love Michelle Waterson Gomez as a fighter. I think she brings incredible value to the product. But time is of the essence if she wants to make a championship run. Marina, only one year younger, but it wasn't that long ago that I genuinely viewed her as a title contender and a threat to actually win the belt. So that is what sides me toward Marina. And looking at the records with a lot of close fights that have gone the distance... It seems to be that Marina gets the nod. Michelle does not. I think it's another tight fight. I'm going Marina Rodriguez. Why? I guess for what I just said. We lock it in. Taking the Brazilian Marina Rodriguez by decision. Maybe even of the split variety. Dun dun dun. Judges. What are they going to do? Whoever fucking knows. fantastic co-main event in the featherweight division has been lined up for us to set the tone very nicely for the main event. We have the 10th ranked UFC featherweight Bryce Thug Nasty Mitchell coming off the first proper loss on his record uh, inside the UFC up against Dan 50k Ige ranked 12th and looking to take that position once again inside the division's top 10. I'll start with Thug Nasty Bryce Mitchell. 
Uh, 15 wins, two losses on his record. Nine of those 15 wins by submission, the rest by decision, and eight first round finishes. So Bryce, we've seen him secure a twister submission, uh, a lot of variation with his ground game, and that is no doubt where he is most dangerous. The Arkansas product is 28 years old, training out of Barata MMA. Now both of Bryce's losses came by way of submission, which is interesting, uh, because Dan Ige does have that in his game, but a lot of the time we see him lean uh, toward using his fists. So very interested to see uh, how Eric Nixick and the team at Extreme Couture with Dan Ige uh, approach this Mitchell matchup. But looking at the two losses for Bryce, a submission against Brad Katona, who's recently resurfaced uh, on The Ultimate Fighter, and a submission last time out against Ilya Tapuria, who will be fighting for the belt next. Volk is my man. If I pick, have to pick anyone, even including Max Holloway, who I genuinely believe is the biggest chance of taking that belt off Volk, it's Ilya Tapuria. So that's up next. Mitchell coming off that loss, uh, but he was a championship contender. He was unbeaten 6-0 prior to that Ilya loss, uh, and his most recent win leading into that was a really impressive decision over a world-class striker in Brazil's Edson Barboza. But then December last year, Bryce Mitchell dealing with some injuries, very easily accounted for by Tapuria. Second round arm, tri uh, arm triangle choke submission. I can't speak English anymore. And Tapuria put him away. So this is the first we get to see of Bryce Mitchell in 2023. It sounds like he's been very busy in his personal life. I'm sure he's busy with fucking lots of theories as well. He's an interesting cat. I'm not going to hate just because someone's different to me. But yeah, some of the shit he says. Like NASA, comparing NASA to Nazis. I'm just like, fucking... Check yourself, man. Use better fucking phrasing. And yeah, he's just a bit of a fucking kook. But he's a great fighter. So Bryce Mitchell, 6-1 in the UFC, up against Dan 50k Ige. Like I said, hunting that 10 ranking, the 32-year-old Hawaiian with extreme couture behind him. Dan is 17-6 and six overall, and all six of those losses coming by way of decision. So he is yet to be stopped uh, over quite a storied career, 23 fights. As for Ige's wins, five have come by knockout, five by submission, which like I mentioned, could be the way to beat Bryce Mitchell. Uh, but most of his wins, uh, if you look at methods of victory, have come by way of decision. He's got 10 finishes, seven decisions, uh, but that is the predominant method. Ige, he boasts a lot of strength, a lot of knockout power in the hands. We've seen him finish fights very fast. He's got a wrestling base. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, a judo brown belt. Uh, so he is going to be very well equipped for what Thug Nasty can throw at him. Ige has six first round finishes. That's the reason he's called Dan 50k Ige. And look, 50k like Bryce Mitchell, but even more so, at one point in his career, was right in the mix as a championship contender. He rode a six-fight win streak into July 2020, and that was where it was halted. A 
five-round fight against Kelvin Cater. Decision loss. A bit of a setback, but Ige looks to bounce back. Does exactly that. Couldn't have done so in better fashion. 22-second knockout in March 2021 over Gavin Tucker. Earns a performance of the night on a bloody oath. Then, three straight losses. And that's where kind of Dan Ige really faces uh, adversity and a massive setback. Uh, But what we've seen was that this was against the highest level of competition. So that does have to be noted. I believe a higher level of competition across the board than that of what Bryce Mitchell has faced. So it's a five-round loss to TKZ, the Korean zombie, that starts this three-fight losing streak. And then two back-to-back three-rounders that go 15 minutes. A loss to Josh Emmett and a loss to Movsar Evloev. Lately, though, this year in particular, Ige has been back in form. We saw him scale it back a little bit in terms of competition, and it's been successful. Two wins in a row this year. Started in February with a second round knockout over Damon Jackson, and then Ige derailed the hype train, Nate the Train Landwehr, who was on a bit of a roll. Uh, Ige shut him down. Unanimous decision win. Ige back on track. And this is a major fight in his career. Up against someone who believes he's the cash cow in Bryce Mitchell. Well, I say to that, prove it. Final thoughts. Tremendous co-main event. I believe a fight like this deserves a crowd. Uh, But whatever. I don't know what Ige thinks about the earth. Maybe he's a flat earther, but otherwise, I want to brand this one. If Ige does believe the Earth is like spherical or whatever, round, uh, then I, I brand this as the co-main event battle of the round earthers versus the flat earthers. There we go. I know who NASA will be supporting. They'll be going for fucking Dan Ige. There you go. You heard it from here. If Bryce Mitchell hears this, he'll probably think I'm either one the devil or two fucking like a lizard in human skin which unconfirmed we cannot confirm or deny i'm yet to take any kind of lizard reptilian test and who knows can you imagine you're sitting here listening and i'm actually a reptilian and so those are my final thoughts on this one stylistically it's mouth-watering because ege if this takes place on the feet he could shut mitchell's lights out but i do like what mitchell has to offer in the striking exchanges. Both guys very sound on the mat. I'm leaning toward Bryce. So yeah, I'm not a hater. I can say all these silly things, but I respect him as a fighter. He's a hell of a fighter. So personal thoughts, Bryce Mitchell, ever so slightly. I'll be happy for Ige if he wins. He's worked very hard, uh, trains at a quality gym. But I'm going to go Bryce Mitchell by decision 29-28. I reckon he gets two of the three rounds. Somewhere in there, I reckon Ige will have a very strong round. Uh, but ultimately, I'm saying 29-28. That's my call. Lock it in. Co-main event. Battle. Round-earthing Hawaiian. Flat-earthing Arkansas. Who gets it done? I say flat-earthing Arkansas, so... Maybe I have to reevaluate my whole opinion on... Yeah. Is the earth flat? I'll come back to you on that. Fucking don't think so. But, hey, conspiracies, I'm, I'm not anti-conspiracies. There are many true conspiracies. 
And a lot of this shit exists for a reason, because a lot of these places and power and things like that, they're fucking shady and they cover things up and there's a bit of a history of it. So it's like, who's to blame for all these conspiracies? Some of them fucking true. Some of them very interesting. Bryce Mitchell, though, a guy, like I appreciate and respect fighters, but I'm like, eh, I'm not going to take too much influence from this guy who lives in his caravan and fucking gets up to some rogue shit, but more power to him. He looks like he has a fucking hell of a time. Adventurous bloke. And the way he lives his life, his beliefs, it translates to him being a title contender, so I can't really knock it, can I? And that's why I'm going to go Bryce Mitchell. I can't, I can't be a hater. So Bryce Mitchell, 29-28 by decision. Looking at my non-existent watch, what time is it? It's main event time. Without further ado, let's launch into it. Our first of two back-to-back weekends with lightweight main events in the Apex. Just one month out from the championship rematch, Islam up against Charles. In this one, five-rounder, enter two contenders, looking to add separation between one another in the title picture, as the sixth-ranked UFC lightweight Rafael Fazeev shares the cage with the seventh-ranked Polish contender Mateusz Gamer Gamrot. Ooh, mouthful. Rafael Fazeev sits just outside of the division's top five and knows that a win over a fellow contender would be sure to propel him back into the title hunt. Fazeev will make the walk for the first time since UFC 286 in London. Uh, it was a bloodbath, an epic fight against Justin Gaethje, where Rafael was on the wrong side of the scorecards. Uh, whilst Mateusz Gamrot found himself in a similar boat, we were emerging as a title contender, uh, but faced a setback after dropping a decision to Benil Dariush. Much like his opponent in Fiziv, Gamrot rose to prominence rapidly under the bright lights of the UFC, and it just seems like both guys are at the perfect point in their careers to be matched up in a main event here. Uh, now, in that fight with Dariush, title implications are plenty. Gamrot fell short but gained valuable experience. And we saw that in his bounce-back performance, uh, a very tense split-decision victory over a prospect whom I'm very high on in Jalen the Tarantula Turner. Now, for Gamrot, he is a former dual-division KSW champion in Poland, uh, and he showed the experience and the promise that was the reason he was brought into the UFC to be a contender uh, that body of work in KSW was unbelievable. I would recommend checking it out. Uh, and in that hard-earned decision victory over Jalen Turner, Gamrot, look, he really evaded that striking knockout power uh, and general presence of the tarantula by using his wrestling and just utilizing control, uh, which is something he may need to do here as well. But we've seen with Rafael Fazeev fantastic takedown defense and that was on display in his last five-round appearance against Rafael Dos Anjos, who is well-renowned across the world for his Brazilian jiu-jitsu skills. Fazeev blocked every attempt and even got the knockout finish over the legend. 
Uh, so going into this one, Mateusz Gamrot, Rafael Fazif, both have spoken about uh, wanting to get this one done inside five rounds. So it's a hell of a main event. Could have done with a crowd. Like, you could do it in Poland and shit, but yeah, unfortunately, uh, the Rus- Russia, there's shit going on at the moment that we might make it a little tricky. I don't know. I, I don't know. But we'll see. Because it would be cool if they fucking did it in Poland. Or I think Rafael Fiziev represents... He represents a lot of places. Kyrgyzstan, I believe. Kazakhstan. You could do it in Thailand. That would have been epic. Give Fiziev his main event in Thailand. But whatever. It's in the apex. Uh, now, let me work out where the bloody hell I was. I was talking about Matej Gamrot. Uh, professional record overall. 22 wins. Two losses, one no contest. Uh, so that's an impressive record for the Polishman. Inside the UFC, five wins and two losses. Uh, of course, he lost split decision against Guram Kutaladze. Very contentious. Many people, even potentially Guram, believed that Gamrot actually won that. Uh, and then, of course, the decision of a unanimous variety. I can't speak English. Lol, again. Uh, Benil Dariush beat Gamrot. Uh, but looking at Mateusz and his wins, Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman made quick work of him with a knockout, even quicker work of Jeremy Stevens. Who the fuck is that guy? That was awful. 65 second Kimura submission, absolutely rolled through Stevens, did Gamrot. A TKO against Diego Ferreira and a five round decision. This was huge uh, against Armin Sarukian, who's a fellow contender. Uh, and that split decision against Jalen Turner. So he's banking some tremendous wins. And Gamrock going into this one has ambitions of breaking into that top five. Checking out the profile, uh, Gamrot nicknamed Gamer from Poland. Uh, he's a Southpaw. I think Fiziev will be very well equipped for that. But it should be interesting to see uh, how that goes down. As far as fighting style, Gamrot. His biggest strength is his wrestling. So that's the main question mark of this fight. Can he get it to the mat? Or will Rafael Fazeev's takedown defense hold up? Gamrot trains at American Top Team. So world-class preparation. They're going to have a tremendous game plan to get their hand raised here. And Gamrot is also a BJJ black belt. Stylistically, very intriguing blend of styles. The striking brilliance of Fiziev and his incredible takedown defense up against the world-class wrestling of Gamrot and elite striking that he also brings to the table. Expect this one to be incredibly close. Expect me to fumble the bag slash my lines. Uh, But what we're not going to fumble here, the lightweight title picture. Like I mentioned, this one of two over the next two weekends lightweight main events we've also got the title fight coming up we just saw the bmf fight where justin gaethje landed that epic head kick knockout Uh, so i've got the lightweight title picture here very relevant when it comes to this main event islam Markashev. this time around against charles he is the champion deservingly so and he looks uh, like he's going to be a very hard man to take that belt off Charles Oliveira, he mentioned that he was burnt out by the time he got to Islam. 
And I feel like that's not an excuse. Like sometimes you have to take what these fighters are saying seriously because they carry injuries, all sorts of shit. And what Charles did all the way leading into that Islam fight was fucking crazy. So it makes a bit of sense. Charles had a bit of a break, mental refresh, came out, fucking destroyed Benil Dariush. Charles back in that picture. We feel like we're going to get a better version of Charles Oliveira. And I feel like we're going to get the best version we've seen of Islam Markashev, who's coming off a performance other than the knockout loss on his record, uh, where he was pushed like no other time against Volkanovsky. So Volkanovsky not ranked here, but uh, throw Volk into this mix as well. Uh, but Islam up against Charles, Justin Gaethje next, before Volk, I believe. I think that head kick win uh, over Poirier makes sense. Also, breaking news on the lightweight front, uh, two guys who aren't in the rankings, Tony Ferguson is going to fight again against Paddy the Baddy Pimblet. That should be an interesting one. Can't wait to get into that. Neither guy in this title picture now. Islam vs. Charles, Gaethje next. Dustin Poirier. Uh, he is ranked third. Coming off that loss. Uh, but still, if he decides to stay at 155, a couple of wins and he could be challenging for the belt. He's kind of being selective about who he fights. I don't know if he'd fight for Ziv or Gamrot. He wasn't keen on Dariush. Uh, but we'll see. Speaking of Dariush, he's ranked fourth. I believe there's a fight coming up for him. Is he fighting Armin Sarukian? Not exactly sure. I'll have to look into that. You've got Michael Chandler waiting in the wings. Been fucked over big time. I think, personally, he should get that McGregor fight. I can see Gaethje getting it. Uh, McGregor, who knows? Is he going to fight at lightweight and get a title shot out of nowhere? Is he going to fight at middleweight? He looks like he could be a light heavyweight. At this stage. So Michael Chandler. Maybe. If they're going to fuck him off with the McGregor thing. Maybe he faces winner of this. Gets himself. Back in title contention. And they say. Well fuck it. At least have one more shot. At going for that belt. And it would start with the winner of this. Armin Sarukian ranked just behind these guys in the main event. Dan Hooker. Said he rejected a Tony Ferguson matchup. In favour of Jalen Turner. He wants the best. He wants the young prospects. He wants the most dangerous guys that are going to take him back toward that belt. A lot of people thought Hooker was washed. He proved against Jalen Turner. He is not done just yet. So Dan Hooker is another one. And realistically, if you want to continue to build the winner of this, you could match him up against Hooker. That's a win-win no matter who walks out with the hand raised there. Then, Grant Dawson ranked 10th. He will be taking part in next weekend's main event against Bobby King Green, who faced the champion Islam Makashev. A short notice, pretty easily accounted for, but he has runs on the board. So that, to be honest, that main event doesn't excite me a lot. Grant Dawson does. I think he's got a potential to be discussed in this mix. Um, but the main event doesn't excite me a lot, but I've already started tape for my predictions for that card. Already done the full main card. And I'll tell you what, there are some fucking bangers. Joe Pfeiffer, Abdul Razak Al Hassan. All I saw, and excuse me for dropping the C bomb right here, all I saw when I was watching tape of them, 
and they have lost at stages, but I didn't watch that tape. All I saw was them knocking cunts out. Unbelievable, and fast, and emphatic. So that is going to be a banger. Joaquin Buckley, Alex Morono. There are plenty of fights on next weekend's card that I can't wait to get into, uh, but let's stick with this main event. Rafael Ataman Faziv. Professional records standing at 12 wins, 2 losses. 8 of those 12 wins coming by way of knockout. He has 6 first round finishes, 30 years old, uh, and trains at Tiger Muay Thai slash Killcliffe FC. Uh, so he trains all over the place, has experience for days, knows what he's doing. And stylistically between these guys, this is going to be a purest stream of a genuine MMA fight. I don't know how long it's going to go. 25 minutes of it though. We could have a fight of the year. Who knows. In the apex maybe not. uh, But I definitely think this is pushing for fight of the night. Slash performance of the night honours. For Fazeev he experienced an unblemished 6-0 start to his career as a pro. All of those wins coming by way of finish. Then he enters the UFC. A lot of hype around him. Uh, given his Muay Thai background, goes up against Magomed Mustafaev very famously and quickly. Spinning back kick TKO loss. Gets wiped out, does Fazeev. So he comes in with this hype, but maybe that wasn't the worst thing. Because if he'd won there and then and then continued to win, the hype or this undefeated sensation, like sometimes it's not the worst thing to have at least that one in the loss column as a lesson. Uh, but he got knocked out. That's the only finish between both Fazeev and Gamrot in their loss column. So maybe Gamrot tries to get it done in that way, but it's pretty fucking ballsy to try and knock Rafael Fazeev out. After that loss to Mustafaev in his debut, Fazeev went on to carry an impressive six-fight winning run into a matchup against Justin Gaethje. On this run, he had a decision against Alex White, decision against Mark Jacasey. Then Fazeev really announced himself with a big knockout over Hanato Moicano. Bobby Green in the main event next weekend. Well, I'll tell you what, on this run, Rafael Fazeev in a very fun, entertaining fight, got a decision win. Then he takes on his great mate. They agree to fight him and Brad Riddell. Winner goes toward that belt. And it was Fazeev with the KO, spinning wheel kick, which is interesting given his debut. Then the sixth consecutive win, uh, it was a five-rounder, almost went the distance. Fazeev was incredible. Rafael Zosanjos just could not take him down. And in the end, Fazeev with a knockout. Most notably and recently, a majority decision loss against Justin Gaethje. From memory, one of those fighters, uh, one of the fighters, One of the judges had that as a draw. Really close fight against Gaethje. Hasn't aged that badly when you look at what Gaethje did to Poirier. Fizeev, he's looking to get back in the title hunt. Now, 25-minute element. Who wins if the fight goes the distance? It seems like maybe that sways it in the favor of Gamrot, but hard to tell. I think both guys will be looking for the finish whenever it presents. For Rafael Fazeev, knockout, uh, I think he'll be very precise, technical, patient. But if he can find that chin, and preferably 
early as well of Gamrot, uh, he may look to put him away. Whilst for Gamrot, the only finish between them in terms of losses was Fazeev getting knocked out. Does he try and go that avenue? Uh, will he try to utilize his wrestling? Will it be control for 25 minutes? Or is he going to look to wrap up a submission? That being the area, seemingly, where he has an edge. I think damage much greater than control if this does go the distance. Fazeev, we've seen that cut open up on his head. So if he's bleeding in a close fight, could be advantage Gamrot. Whilst if Gamrot gets dropped by a big strike from Fazeev, he'll be down on the scorecards. I said this one, I think the funnest thing is going to be sitting down and watching it rather than speculating, to be honest. Uh, quickly, before we get to the prediction, a couple more things. We'll start that with the tail of the tape. Raphael Fazeev, 12-2. Gamrot, 22 one no contest. Gamrot, 32 years old. Uh, Fazeev, 30. And a slight reach advantage for Fazeev, whilst Gamrot is the taller man. I mentioned Fazeev's knockout threat. Uh, just what he possesses on the feet. And it's the variation that he has. It's not just to the head, the body strikes, the leg strikes, they accumulate. And his cardio is fantastic. So in this instance, over 25 minutes, if he can push that intense pace of Gamrot, who may exert a lot of energy trying to take this to the mat, then Fazeev, it's all going to accumulate. The legs of Gamrot will start to weaken. Uh, and then as Gamrot starts to think of the body, the legs, other, other areas, whilst Raphael mixes it up. Boom! All of a sudden, a shot on the chin. That is how quick, precise, and dangerous Fazeev can be. Legendary Muay Thai skills, experience in the UFC against the best of the best. And my question for Mateus Gamrot, on the feet, what can he do in response? On the Polish side of things, will Gamrot... He's no stranger to all sorts of different styles. KSW is as high a level of competition as you are going to get. Someone else who came from there, uh, Drikus Duplessis, like, the standard is incredible. I, I think some of the KSW guys, like Phil DeFries, could take some of the UFC guys. So, for Gamrot, his KSW body of work has really held him in high regard as a future title challenger. Now seems like the time to turn that potential into a reality. He's right there on the cusp. Both guys are. That's why this is such a crossroads fight. A dual division champion was Gamrot. Uh, so he's showing his versatility. We saw a fantastic trilogy between Gamrot and Norman Park in KSW. And there was a lot to suggest in that run. That this guy can mix it up with the best in the world. Now, I checked out the UFC.com numbers to try and find out who has an edge in certain areas. Fazeev has more knockouts out of the two, but Gamrot has significantly more submissions, which I've kind of already pointed to. Fazeev is 3-1 when the fight has been left to the judges, whilst Gamrot is 10-2 when the scorecards have been required. So if it goes the distance, maybe that tips the scales in favour of Mateusz Gamer Gamrot. Gamerat. I don't know why I said that. Striking accuracy cannot split them. 
Well, you can, but by 1%. Fazeev, 52% striking accuracy. Gamrot, 51%. So again, this is going to be a lot of fun when it does take place on the feet. Takedown accuracy. Gamrot, 32%. One thing I want to mention, though, is his output. He just does not quit. So even if you defend one takedown, he's coming straight back for another. So it's that relentless pursuit that Gamrot is going to look to impose on Fazeev and try and break his opponent down. Uh, now, Gamrot, 32% takedown accuracy, 12 takedowns landed from 82 attempts. But that tells you, 82 attempts. He just goes and goes and goes. But Rafael Dos Anjos didn't have any luck with Fazeev uh, when they met in a main event Apex showdown. Uh, now, four takedowns averaged per 15 minutes. So that suggests Gamrot. I don't know, that's the ultimate stylistic battle. Because Fazeev has 90% takedown defense. So if you want to look at what the crux of this matchup is, which just really makes it interesting, Fazeev, 90% takedown defense. That is enormous. But he hasn't faced someone quite like Gamrot on this run, who's just going to go and go and go. As far as the striking element, Fazeev has higher volume, more significant strikes landed, but he also absorbs more. So yeah, fuck, this is going to be close. Like trying to predict this one, who bloody knows. On the defensive end with striking, Gamrot has 61% significant strike defense, Fazeev only 49%. Uh, so there's a little bit of a discrepancy where we could see maybe uh, Gamrot gets an edge. Uh, Fazeev with striking, he has more of a mix-up, like I mentioned. Head, body, legs. A lot of variation in terms of his percentages there. He mixes it up perfectly and very effectively. Whilst Gamrot, 70% of his strikes are to the head. Makes it a little bit easier to defend. But the thing is, it strikes to the head and mixing it up with the wrestling. What a bloody juicy matchup. Final thoughts. Uh, I am actually of Polish descent on top of a few fucking other things. And I have a lot of Polish pride. So bias is aside for my pick. I haven't gone Polish pride for my pick. But personally, I will be cheering for Gamrot. My prediction though, to finish off the podcast, I'm taking Rafael Fazeev by decision. Why? It's a toss of a coin fight. I'll side with Fazeev in lieu of his excellent takedown defense. I think he can do it again. Honestly, I don't know. I think it's going to be a very close five rounder and either guy could win, maybe even split decision. Wouldn't surprise me if there's a finish, but they're just so closely matched. So let's lock it in before I change my mind. Takedown defense, and maybe one or two knockdowns throughout the fight. Get it done for Fazeev Ataman. And he moves toward that top five mix and championship contention. Locking it in. Main event. Rafael Fazeev over Mateusz Gamrot by decision. We're going to quickly finalize the pod and then I'll let you go. Uh, that's a wrap on the card. All my picks. Uh, usually I'll do Thoughts in Comments podcast where I watch it live and do a review podcast. Uh, cards happen on Sunday in Australia. So it's always whether I'm working or not. 
This Sunday I am working. It's only an Apex card, so I won't be doing the Thoughts and Comments podcast. So what's up next then? Are two things. Performance highlights for this card. Whilst there won't be a review podcast, I will be posting my fight of the night, my performances of the night, our talking point, top prospect. I'll be posting all of that over on Instagram at not just a sports report after the cards finish. So I'll go back, I'll watch everything. And yeah, it's like my, essentially my bonuses. I just don't have 50k to give anyone. Also next, uh, I've already done all my tape for the main card. I'm going to wait and see if there are any short notice changes. I'm going to do all the prelims tape tomorrow. So pretty early during the week, Grant Dawson, Bobby Green, fight night predictions. If that main event doesn't excite you, look, it's a mix. There are some eh, fights on the card, and then there are some ones that are mind-blowing. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's it. An apex card from one to another, one lightweight main event of high importance to another, where Grant Dawson on a bit of a run. But that's been it for today. So let's wrap it. Take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening. And most importantly, enjoy the fights tomorrow.